Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, yeah. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. All right, Georgia Southern fans, welcome to another episode of Georgia Southern Extra. I'm Travis Shadon, the beat writer for Georgia Southern Athletics at the Savannah Morning News and savannahnow.com. We're going to talk today about uh, some football news, some off-season stuff, and we have Mike Anthony from the Statesboro Herald joining us. Mike, how are you? Uh, doing pretty good, doing pretty good. So we've got plenty of off-season stuff to cover, just some news and notes for you guys wanted to get in here and kind of update things as the notebook got a little longer mike there's plenty of stuff that's that has come out recently involving the georgia southern football program some good some bad some not either way i guess uh first things first we got to touch on the transfers and i think you know anyone that follows this program knows what's been going on with with six transfers now having entered the transfer portal, uh, which is a whole entity unto itself, six off the roster now from last season's team. And so Mike and I will give you our thoughts on that. And then we'll jump into some pretty relevant, I think, uh, roster updates. So we got some position changes, uh, which I think can give us some information into what the coaching staff thinks they have and what they don't have as far as personnel goes. Um, And then we'll catch up on a few other notes at the end to close out. Uh, but yeah, first, let's touch on these transfers, Mike. Let's list them off for the folks. Ian Bush, the nose tackle, graduated. He entered the transfer portal a while back. We know that he was granted a six-year of eligibility and then um, decided not to come back to Georgia Southern. The running back, Andrew Cunningham. Uh, another running back, Grant Walker. Marshall Washington, the safety out of Liberty County. Josh Johnson, who was a reserve defensive end. And now today on Wednesday, as we record this, we learned that Backup quarterback Ivan Corbin Jr. has entered the transfer portal. And so, you know, just another guy that that may not have been a projected starter for Georgia Southern this year, and I'm talking about Corbin. He is a guy that at least was factoring into some sort of depth chart positioning, um, at least coming out of the spring, we thought. But that is no longer the case. Corbin Jr. is uh, potentially... Um, available to return to Georgia Southern if things should not work out within the transfer portal. Um, He did ask Coach Lunsford about entering it, if he'd be eligible to come back, and and Lunsford approved that. And so, you know, I guess that story is yet to be written. But, Mike, when you read all this stuff and you see that that all these guys are leaving, I guess I'll ask it twofold. What's the reaction that you hear most often uh, from either fans or just people noticing it? And then I guess what's your opinion on it, if you can kind of summarize what you think of the exodus? Well, I think uh, one of the most common themes that I hear, whether it's on message boards or talking uh, to some people uh, just around town or around the program is, you know, it gets a little exasperating. Uh, I think some of that might have to do with the fact that this is the off season. 
there's not nearly as much to talk about. There's not game uh, film to run down. There's not matchups to look ahead to for the next week. So you start planning and dreaming about what might be, and you're making up depth charts in your head and trying to project, you know, the stats for these guys. And, you know, all these guys, uh, if they hadn't already seen the field for Georgia Southern, they, they definitely were uh, only going to see more action uh, than they had before uh, moving forward. So I think that it kind of bums a lot of people out. You know, people were – I know we had a long conversation a, a few weeks ago about Ivan Corbin Jr. and how he might factor in and how quarterback, regardless of how good Shyworth is, you know, the quarterback position in this offense, it's so important to have depth just because you never know when that second or third guy is going to have to come up. So I think that one really hurts. It's going to – you know, create a, a lot of stress for the people who spend all their off season, you know, fretting about the, the depth chart and all that. But when it comes down to it, it's just going to be a next man up situation. You know, some of these guys might be leaving because they were tired of being the next man up. They wanted to be the man and maybe they'll go find it somewhere else. I don't think that any of these guys are leaving on uh, hard terms or anything, but uh, it just seems to be the the way things are going is that people are wanting to play. They're wanting to play early. They're wanting to play often. And if things don't work out at their first stop, you know, it's becoming more and more the trend, not just at Georgia Southern, but anywhere else in the country to, you know, see who else wants to kick the tires on you and maybe put you higher up on that depth chart. Yeah, Mike, and a few things for me, you know, as far as all of the transfers together go, I think the important thing to note is that this isn't just at Georgia Southern, first and foremost. This is something that's kind of happening throughout the college football landscape. And, you know, it's a whole nother discussion as to whether you think it's a good thing or a bad thing uh, for college athletics and for college football specifically to allow guys to, and I don't want to say freely transfer because we'll touch on JD King in a minute, Mike. It's not (laughs) a a free-for-all transfer, uh, you know, despite looking at some of the the power five conferences, it seems that way, but you know, whether you believe it's a good thing or not, the important thing to know is that it's a fact that this is happening everywhere. And then secondly, for me, I think this is a natural progression for programs in today's college football, right? So Chad Lunsford comes in and we know he was around the program for a long time prior to being the head coach, but he comes in and is the head coach for a year. Now he has two full cycles uh, of bringing in his own players. I think it's a good thing when you see some of these guys. I mean, Andrew Cunningham and Grant Walker might be the exceptions uh, as redshirt freshmen, but the other guys were older guys. Lunsford didn't recruit them, or I mean, Lunsford didn't sign them as the head coach, at least. And, and you know, a lot of these guys are just seeking playing time. And that might mean that there are guys in front of them who, and this is my opinion, but that there are guys in front of them who are younger and better. Now, again, Walker and Cunningham might be the exceptions just because that running back depth chart is loaded. And really, I don't know that there's anyone that is involved with Georgia Southern that truly knows what Walker and Cunningham could have brought potentially. But I think that they're pretty comfortable with Logan Wright, Matt LaRoche, you know, in the future, I guess, J.D. King. So, Mike, as far as uh, the, the outgoing transfers go, you know, there's six of those. There is one, J.D. King, uh, we know from Oklahoma State and from Fitzgerald, Georgia, who is an incoming uh, transfer. Now, he right now is in a sitting one uh, 
status on the transfer portal, which which means that as of now, he is sitting out of the 2019 season mm-hmm. and will be eligible for Georgia Southern in 2020. But I guess, Mike, do you have anything that you want to add to the J.D. King situation? For me, it's there's just so much to wrap my head around it. You know, I see all these other transfers getting approved. I see uh, his name escapes me, the tight end that played at Georgia and is now at Illinois. He's denied his transfer appeal, even though he's got significant family issues and those have been documented and the NCAA would not allow him to play immediately. But then you look at uh, Demetrius Robertson, uh, Martell from Ohio State, and then Justin Fields from Georgia to Ohio State. All these guys allowed to play and J.D. King coming from Stillwater, Oklahoma, back to Statesboro, Georgia, right next to where he grew up, obviously is not good enough for the NCAA to warrant immediate playing time. What's your stance on the J.D. King situation, Mike? I think that the long and short of it is the NCAA, much like they do in many other uh, facets, uh, other arguments that have popped up throughout the years, it's just so arbitrary. There's no structure. There's no consistency. You know, say what you want about uh, hardships or rules that they have in place. It always seems to get vague and and bent in one direction or the other just depending on what the situation is. And, you know, you look at a guy in J.D. King who – I guess, you know, a few years ago, there'd be no question about it. He'd be sitting out a year. There's no immediate, you know, trauma or hardship or anything. Sure, he's coming back closer to uh, uh, his hometown, and Georgia Southern would uh, be within that radius. I think it's a 100-mile radius of your hometown. That's where your transfer school has to be in order to qualify for a a hardship and immediate uh, playing time. But you just look at all the people who are getting to go to a different school and play right away, and I don't know all the facts, and I certainly don't want to make light of someone like a Josh Fields, who I think everybody's kind of heard some of the, uh, you know, situation involving his transfer out. You don't want to make light of, you know, what that may or may not have been. But if we're talking about people being critical of a player and that causing him to uh, move away, you know, again, critical might not be doing it justice to what apparently was said, but that's something where if you're going to allow that, then every player on every significant team that has a significant fan base, they should be allowed to transfer out. If you read a message board on game day when people get worked up, there's all sorts of things that get said. And I just, I think the NCAA just once again is stepping in it because they play everything by ear. Yeah. I mean, again, it's not too dissimilar to the Sunbelt conference and the way they go about awards votings. If the less transparent you are, the more you open yourself up to people having to come up with their own conclusions as to why and why not certain guys. And, you know, if you could give a rhyme or reason, you'd be able to handle it. Right. And, you know, we can just call it like it is the Justin Fields thing from Georgia. Obviously, you know, he's cited before that there were racial undertones or, you know, racial remarks made that were, you know, offensive to him and made him feel a certain way that obviously for the NCAA, you know, that was good enough to warrant him leaving. And again, that's fine by me. I don't really, you know, who are we to judge? Right, I don't whether, want to downplay that. That's, that's not but the cool thing is, you know, like that, but. but if King, you know, and I'm not saying that this happened here, but here's what I'm saying. How easy would it be for King to come up with the, uh, what the NCAA cites as a legitimate reason for leaving how easy would it be for him to have come up with one you know and again i'm not saying fields just came up with what happened to him but in other words if you don't have a set standard like the 100 mile radius thing that's good because 
if you're at 101 miles, you, you know, you're not in it. It's just, it's cut, right. it's, it's in stone and you know where the parameters are for this, you know, it's the wild, wild west. And I guess, you know, us pointing out the problems without giving solutions is probably not the grandest idea, but obviously there is some well, sort of problem. That is the NCAA handing out decisions without giving circumstances. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. And I mean, it seems like they spend a lot of their time handing down decisions instead of, instead of handing down rules. But mm-hmm. that, I guess that's another conversation too. Mike, let's jump into um, some roster updates and position changes. I'll run through the list of them quickly. Um, and then uh, we can kind of see if we can gather a theme from them. I think it's pretty easy to gather the theme. Uh, inside linebacker Emery McKenzie, who is a transfer from the City College of San Francisco. He, he is, or he did sit out the 2018 season, and he's eligible this year. Uh, he's moved from inside linebacker to tight end. Outside linebacker Alvin Ward Jr. has also moved to tight end. And for me, Mike, right off the rip, that should tell us something. And uh, the, I guess the remainder of the Position changes that we should jump to are uh, Jala Zizi Jr. from tight end or wide receiver. That's a guy that Lunsford has talked to me about a few times that he's really excited about, loves his versatility, and um, thinks that he's able to play on the inside and outside as a receiver. So um, he could provide some depth at the receiver spot. Wanye Tarver, another transfer in 2018 from Moorhead State. He moves from wide receiver to slot. Um, Not a significant change uh, at all, but Worth noting, at least. And then Wes Kennedy III, the evolving circus of Wes Kennedy III's positions uh, has changed again. Uh, He was listed at a running back only um, for all of the offseason leading up to last week. And now he is listed as running back slash slot. So potentially it could just be Coach Lunsford messing with me personally, just changing (laughs) Wes Kennedy's Kennedy's position here and there. And uh, I'll say this, if if that's the reason why they're doing it, it is working because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm checking it far well, too I, often for a normal person. Maybe I, can, maybe I can help. I can make things pretty easy. I really don't care what letters are beside uh, Wesley Kennedy's name. His position is probably going to be we're getting him the ball 15, 20 times a game. You know, he's explosive enough. He can run. He can uh, he can catch. He can make moves in the open field. Uh I think that you'll see him once again, regardless of whether they want to call him a slot or a running back. You'll see him in motion. You'll see him lined up all over the field. If you're a defense, you know that he's got to be accounted for by at least one person. So I think as far as the position changes go, that's the easiest one to understand is it might have just been, hey, we feel like uh, listen, someone, even if it's just for depth purposes, having an extra slot or an extra running back, you know, let's just throw some uh, additional positions behind them. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the big thing for me out of all these changes, Mike, is the tight end positions, right? So you're you're losing Alice Richardson, and you know when I saw these guys move to tight end, the first thing I did was, well, what did the tight end position produce for Georgia Southern last season? You know, if these guys are moving from one spot to tight end and the tight end is never used, then it doesn't really matter, right? So, but well, but I, mean, I was surprised a little bit, Mike, and I mean. You know, obviously, you and I were at the games. We saw, you know, every single play. We saw the packages. Ellis Richardson was on the field for a lot of important plays. Obviously, I did not know, though, Mike, that he had ten receptions last season, which was second on the he team. Did. He had he, he had, had two touchdowns. touchdowns over the last two years. Yeah, and, and two touchdowns in one game last season. And so, 
what what you're saying is that basically you need to produce 10 receptions and two touchdowns from that position if you want to you know if you want to look at it that way and keep the same production but you know Cam Brown right now is a solid option also a in the, reception last year right his only reception of the season a 5 yard touchdown catch in week 2 and then did not catch a pass for the rest of the season so I don't know that Cam right. Brown is an option in the receiving game, but he is definitely going to be on the field a lot as far as the running game goes. Smart player, good player. Um, but from McKenzie and Alvin Ward Jr., I guess you know the thought would be the more bodies we put at this position, uh, and, and they could certainly move them back to linebacker at any point, but the more bodies we produce at this position, maybe we can find something, you know, a diamond in the rough. And also – you know, I think this provides a legitimate shot for true freshman Bo Johnson to come in and get at least some snaps right away. He'll have a look in fall camp. But, you know, the DJ Butler injury in the spring game, Mike, and DJ Butler, the redshirt freshman uh, from Alabama who is out for the season uh, after hurting his leg in the spring game, I think that injury, Mike, might have been a little more important than we originally thought. And they might have had bigger plans for Butler than we thought. What say you about the tight end position? Yeah, it could be. I think I have a slightly different take on it. I think that, uh, you know, Cam Brown, you mentioned not a lot of productivity last season, but then again, you know, he's uh, right behind Ellis Richardson, who is the unquestioned number one, you know, an all-conference performer, the only uh, eagle to get an undrafted free agent contract out of this uh, uh, draft weekend. So I think that he's still solid. I, I don't think that uh, maybe they're trying to push him a little bit, but I don't think he's in danger of losing too much action when I look at who's moving to tight end what I think is that they're trying to find a little bit more athleticism a little bit more uh, uh blocking ability maybe bringing two uh linebackers and some bigger guys they still have the agility to get out and set the edge uh you know we even saw some catching and running skills aboard last year with a pick six he looked good I, I bet he could haul in some short passes but to me, I think that you might see some bigger guys at tight end, maybe some guys with better footwork who have played linebacker. Because in the last couple of years, what has the offense been lacking? That big explosive play. And, you know, when you look back through the Fritz years, a lot of those plays came from the H-backer, the tight end, you know, setting the edge and having that kick out on a linebacker. You've got to be big enough and quick enough to get that spot and block those sorts of guys. So that's my line of thinking. That's why you're seeing some bigger guys. That's why you're seeing – maybe some defensive guys who uh, are used to uh, uh, playing in those trenches and getting dirty and being able to uh, spring a big block that turns a five-yard play into a 20-yard play. All right, Michael, I hear your daughter, Charlotte Anthony, in the background uh, <laughs> causing some causing some havoc as always. So let- but she's playing with a balloon. Playing with a balloon. I don't blame her. All right, uh, let's do uh, a couple notes real quick, Michael, and we'll close out. Uh, For me, the biggest thing that has come out of the Georgia Southern football program and possibly ever, Lane Ecton, senior linebacker, has finally gotten his number, his jersey number, down to a single digit. And I know that (laughs) that is something that he has campaigned for for quite a long time. But uh, So Ecton moves from number 37 to number 7. Um, and he's an outside linebacker. And then uh, redshirt senior receiver Colby Ransom moves from number 83 to number six. Mike, are you happy about the Ecton single-digit linebacker? Uh, I, I I am. You know, uh, I guess whatever makes him happy, he's definitely uh, earned a spot on the field, and he's done enough on the field to earn, uh, I guess, some uh, uh, 
considerations on his opinions on what number he should wear. But I will say, just going back to uh, my days in middle school and high school playing football and you know being a quarterback, the one thing that was most terrifying was when you look at the defense and there's a guy in a position with a number that doesn't match that position because you know that he's at some point been told that's not the right number for you. And then he did something to make that coach shut up and say you can wear whatever number you want. That's right. And frequent uh, frequent listeners of this podcast will know Mikey's youth football stories. Mikey Memory, the, the quarterback that could remember all the plays. Yes, that's the only reason I was allowed to be quarterback. Not that I was good at it. I just had less of a chance of forgetting what we were supposed to do. All right, so we have uh, the number changes and then two more notes for football. The Troy game set for November 9th at Troy has been – uh, set for a 3.30 Eastern kickoff. Uh, so if you're into um, knowing game times four months out, five months out, there you go. Uh, the Sunbelt Con- <laughs> That's right. The Sunbelt Conference media days have been set for July 20th and 21st, so that'll be fun uh, for the football fans of the conference and for uh, Georgia Southern, certainly after their season last year. Uh, Mike, before we wrap up, you want to catch everyone up on the – Diamond Eagles, what the Georgia Southern baseball team has been doing as they come down the stretch of their regular season. The good news is Georgia Southern's in first place in the East. The bad news, or maybe not bad news, but the less good news is that literally the entire division save for Georgia State is on their heels. I believe at last check it was uh, uh, the top five teams in the division all within three games of first place. Uh, you've got Coastal Carolina, who's always good. Troy, they're starting to heat up. App State from out of nowhere is uh, competitive this year. So it's uh, it's just a total race to the finish. And you know, Georgia Southern, it's, it's been an up-and-down season at first. Their arms were really coming through for them, but they weren't hitting much. Now they're starting to put runs up on the board. But the, uh, the pitching sometimes is on just goes as the season goes on. So they're trying to hang on, and I think it's going to be close at the end. It'll definitely be some fireworks in Conway for the tournament. Awesome, yeah. And that, and that conference tournament at Coastal Carolina in, in late May, uh, for those keeping score. So appreciate you guys listening today. And as always, if you want more Georgia Southern football and, and all sports coverage, just visit savannahnow.com slash sports. Uh, we have a new Georgia Southern tab on that sports uh, site. So you guys can jump right to the Georgia Southern news and notes uh, of the time. And then uh, if you want to tweet at the show or tweet at me, it's at Jadon Sports, J-A-U-D-O-N Sports on Twitter and tjadon at savannahnow.com for the email. Uh, Mike, you want to tell the folks how to reach you? Uh, Yeah, sure. You can uh, read me in uh, the Statesboro Herald. We're online at statesboroherald.com. And on Twitter, you can follow me at at heraldgssports. All right, guys. Thanks for taking the time. And we'll see you next time on Georgia Southern Extra. Adrian Peterson is taking care of things right now. Down the sideline. If he can get loose, he's gone. Illigway will score. The Wesley Fields. Touchdown. Georgia Southern. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. 
Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.